1: just talking to me do you think that you could repeat the question and i listen more attentively
0: there must not be right.
1: something in all of
0: that nothing. i didn't even see the there video go so that's how out of touch i was all right, let's let's get this show on the road, shall oh, we? All right. Usually we go through the whole song, but we got a special guest here today. Yeah. Hey, how are you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hiya, top two guys, Smoke Shop at the Studio Twenty One Podcast Cafe. We've got a really interesting show for you today. Um, there is an election going on. You'd never know it. You'd never know it. Uh, but there's an election going on in Massachusetts for state senate, state uh, representative, for governor, for lieutenant governor, for Treasurer for state auditor. Make sure you vote for Diana DeSoglio for state auditor, even though she's a Democrat. Um, and I, I, I started thinking like before the bash, as we were getting everything ready for the bash. It's an election year. We need to start having candidates in. And so I said, whatever candidates show up at the bash, they're going to get first shot on the podcast because everything we do goes with everything else we do. And we always like to we always like to try and highlight the people that are helping us, that are coming to our events, or helping the Valley Patriot. So today we've got Chris Doty is on the show. Um, he's a candidate for governor, Republican candidate for governor, which, by the way, does not say on your website. It doesn't say Republican. Uh-oh. I went to your website. I said, well, and this is like a pet peeve of mine. So, so any candidate out there, especially like Estella Rays and all of my candidates in, in Lawrence and uh, Methuen, uh, please, if you're going to set up a website – Please put your, your your party affiliation on your website. There are a lot of people who will not vote for a Democrat. There are a lot of people who won 't vote for a Republican. The first thing that they look for when they go to someone 's page is what party are they in and most candidates in fact i 'd say almost every candidate doesn 't do that so my just a little a little friendly advice for chris before before good. we before we start off and I want to thank our sponsors too when we pull up the list mclennan real estate century twenty one on Broadway in. Uh, in Methuen, we're gonna have Matt come on again because I'm noticing some funny things going on with the real estate market, and I don't think he's been here for a, what at least eight weeks, right? Usually, it comes in every four weeks, but we yeah. had the bash screwed everything up. <laughs> AFC Urgent Care. Uh, in Methuen and North Andover, we love Lisa and her husband. They were both at the bash. They had a blast, and they gave us $1,000 for one of our scholarships, so we thank them for that. Yeah. Marsan and Son Construction. Ronnie Marsan also gave us $1,000 for one of our scholarships. I think it was the... Great Lawrence Tech Scholarship that he gave a $1,000 to, EIS Investigation and Gun Training gave us $2,500 this year for the bash, and we appreciate that. They're also sponsoring the show. And my favorite deli. Now, have you have you been through Methuen at all during your campaign? Oh, yeah. Have you stopped at Borelli's Deli yet? Not yet. Okay, that's, that's one of the go-to things you okay. need to do. In fact, if you're going to do a meet and greet in Methuen, that's a good place to have it too because it's centrally located on the east end. And everybody knows where Borelli's is. Like, you don't even have to say where. You say, I'm ever going to vent at Borelli's. No one's going to say where's that. Everybody knows where Borelli's is. So uh, we love Borelli's Deli. Best hot sausages. Uh, and if you like really, really hot sausages, you ask them for the Tom Duggan hot sausages because he makes them special for me on Wednesdays. Go in and ask him for, for some of mine. He'll give them to you. Tomo and Shaken Seafood down the street. Um, best Sushi Around Sullivan Insurance Lazy River Products in Drake It And a free shout out To Sebastian's House of Toys In Haverhill They're coming on board Starting next month So we want to give him A free shout out Give him a, a start up So Chris Doty Is running for governor He's a Republican candidate And I know that All candidates hate it When I mention Who they're running against but I think it's only fair to the people at home to know who who's who's running against who. He's running, at least right now, against Jeff Deal for the Republican nomination. Is there anybody else in that race? No. So it's just the two of you. So um, why don't you start off, Chris, by introducing yourself to the, to the, the people at home. This is going to run for the next week. We'll run it continuously. Um, tell them who you are. Give them the flavor for, like, you know, what, why you're running for office. And then we'll pick your brain about where you stand on some issues and what's going on with
1: the All campaign. All right. Well, first, Tom, it, it's a real treat to be here with you, and uh, I really enjoyed the bash the oh, other thank night. You. I, thank I, you for staying. Well, I left there with a feeling of giving back to the community and uh, just the goodness that I felt among all those that were there. So thank you and for inviting me, and thank you for inviting me here on the uh, podcast um, just a little bit about me. I arrived in Massachusetts in 1987. I went to Harvard business school.
0: We won't hold that against you. Okay.
1: Thank you. Uh, lived downtown for a couple of years and ended up settling in Rentham, which, uh, not far from the Foxborough stadium where the Patriots play, mm-hmm. uh, raised six children there and six uh, children, six children. You should be governor just for that. <laughs> six children. Yeah. Six children. And, uh, <sighs> They all they all have left the house. Now we're empty nesters. We have four grandchildren. That's got to be tough.
0: I don't want to take time away from your political stuff, but that's got to be tough. You raised six kids, and that's got to be chaos for the eighteen years that they're home, right? And then when they leave, it's got to be that's got to be like culture shock.
1: Yeah, and you know, I uh, they all went to public schools, and so you'll hear me talk a lot about public schools in your communities and. Um, you know I spend a lot of time in public schools. I went to uh soccer games and basketball games in just about every school in New England so it's uh I'm very close to that to the the education of our children and uh I started a uh, I bought into a small manufacturing company in Boston in the early nineties and uh we make uh, metal parts and over the course of 30 years, we grew it to a large business. We make auto parts, and in Rentham, we have a large factory, about 300 employees, and we make auto parts and truck parts, appliance parts. So you
0: must be doing good, because every mechanic I talked to in the last year says the biggest problem they have is getting auto parts because of all the shutdowns and everything and the, and the, the, the lag in the delivery services from stuff coming overseas. So being an, an American company that makes auto parts, you guys must be doing really well.
1: Well, we have supply chain problems too, um, but but we have good employees. So we have mechanics, CNC machinists, plumbers, we have electricians. So we have, um, you know, I would say about half of our employees are Latino employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are my friends and my colleagues, and we've been making good auto parts. I think- Some of the finest parts in America right here in Massachusetts.
0: Can I encourage you to open an auto
1: parts uh, place in Lawrence? There's plenty of of room in Lawrence and they could use the help. Well, there's a lot I'd like to talk about in bringing businesses to these communities. Our state has focused so much on biotech and finance in Boston, but not near enough in these communities. Mm -hmm. And that's something I want to bring as governors, good jobs that have good benefits and and uh, long-term employment for the citizens outside of just Boston. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, You're running running against a guy that's already run statewide, right? Jeff Deal ran against uh, Elizabeth Warren. Um, I don't think anybody was ever going to beat Elizabeth Warren. I mean, let's face it, it's Massachusetts. It's a very liberal state. If you were to get past Jeff Deal— how do you beat Mara Healy? How do you beat someone like Mara Healy in a state like Massachusetts that, I mean, they, they just liberal right down the line. They go D straight down the ticket most of the time. Charlie Baker was kind of an aberration, you know, um, Mitt Romney was kind of an aberration because they were kind of moderate. They weren't really right, you know, far right wing. Um, how do you plan, if you get past Jeff, how do you, how do you plan
1: on facing the Democrats in a final and win? Well, typically in our state, we do vote for Republican governors for the last 30 years. Uh, Weld, as you brought up, Weld and Romney and Baker. It's I think our state prefers to have one fiscally conservative person in the statehouse. And it's been important for our state. You can see how much spending and taxing mm-hmm. would occur without that governor. So I really believe the citizens now, maybe more than ever, would like to have a republican governor a governor in the state house to be a block or a counterbalance to the spending and the mm-hmm. taxes that uh, they'll put through remember this in 30 years we've had one major tax increase just one it was on the sales tax and that happened with a democratic governor deval patrick mm-hmm. We didn't go back to that, and I don't think we will. Uh, we've seen it over and over again in our state legislature that they'll spend and tax everyone for everything in our wallets. And so I really believe the citizens will still look for a Republican fiscally conservative but reasonable. Mm-hmm. I think people want a reasonable governor that can negotiate and work and solve problems with the legislature. Um, and so I believe that'll that'll stay the same. You talked about education. That's one of the
0: big things that we talk about a lot. I sat on a school committee in Lawrence for three years and was horrified at the way the sausage was made, horrified. Yeah. And it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, I've got friends on school boards all over the Merrimack Valley, and they tell me it's actually worse now than it ever was. The politics in the classroom, the uh, the wokeness in the schools, uh, we talk about it constantly on this show. If if you become governor, do you have a plan to try and straighten out our public schools A, to stop them from indoctrinating children with political views like global warming and abortion and transgender bathrooms and Donald Trump's a Nazi and all that stuff and get them back to the basics of being able to do math in their head, being able to read and write English effectively enough to get a job.
1: Yeah, I do. I have three ideas that all could be implemented relatively quickly. One is a tip line or a call line, multilingual, So Spanish, Portuguese, English, you would call this number if your children are not um, being taught appropriate age age sensitive information in their class. Or if they feel like they are not being well taught, parents could call this phone number and we would tabulate which districts are getting the most complaints from parents and then we would call in the administrators from these towns and these districts and say hey we're getting a lot of complaints from your community and your district with regards to these teachings or in these classes or in these in these schools and we would ask them to do what we call in the business world in manufacturing a root cause and corrective action what's causing it why are the parents upset and what were you what are you going to do to fix it and uh as we do in the business world if they don't fix it quickly we have more meetings we'll say right. Okay, well, now we'll meet with you tomorrow until it's fixed. And if, if if you're not getting it at our pace, the pace of business, mm-hmm. I would say to them, I'll meet you every morning at 5 a.m. until the district issues are solved. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is the state controls the curriculum. Right now we have broad-based stroked curriculum. If we need to, the state can come in and be more specific on the curriculum so that we can say, hey, these are the things that we want to teach. The last thing is this. A lot of teachers, there's two problems in education right now. One is that the teachers aren't earning enough money to still like the job. So day one, I'm going to go in and make sure that our teachers are being compensated. adequately. Oh, the unions are going to love you. Well, it's true. Right now, our teachers and our police officers need affordable housing. We're right. just not. Inflation's been 7%. Their wages have gone up 2%. So a lot are leaving the industry. The next one is this, I'm going to say to all the teachers and the parents, I want, your, I want your kids and your teachers in the classroom. The teachers are spending too much time out of the classroom doing other things. Education occurs inside the classroom and I want them to stay there. And so those are a few things we can do. But last, let me, let me add one last thing. I, as a father of six, I have seen my children have done much better When they've had extracurricular after-school activities, band, soccer, sewing, debate, anything that the kid or our our children enjoy doing, Mm -hmm. I would really promote uh, after-school curricular activities, and I would encourage it, and I would help pay for it because I think – The social networks, the friendships that kids develop, the skills, pursuing their own destiny are all all so important for children.
0: And they learn how to function as a team, how to work as a team. And one of the things that I'm frustrated by, whether it's setting up a bash, whether it's running my newspaper, whether it's – it's so hard to get people to work together as a team. There's always these little cliques and these little factions and – Especially with the younger generation, I think it's much more def- deficient in that area. Get young kids come on all, all the time that want to volunteer with us to do stuff. And sometimes it's just hard. You know, it's just hard.
1: Yeah. Well, we have 900,000 students right now. 25% of the students are uh, of Latin origin. Okay. And these are my colleagues' children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they speak Spanish or their parents speak Spanish or their grandparents speak Spanish. As a governor, I would really focus on that. I, I likewise speak Spanish. I feel a real affinity to those that are uh, Spanish and Portuguese speakers. And I think we would go right in on day one and say, hey, let's make sure we have the best education. Now, we can borrow from Texas, New Mexico, other states that have a large Latin community to make sure they have the best schools possible.
0: Um. You know that we're very um, interested in the homeless and addiction situation in, in Merrimack Valley? Yeah. Uh, in Massachusetts, we've lost more people to opioids than we lost to COVID. We've lost more people to addiction than we lost in Vietnam. None of our state reps, none of our state senators, God bless them, I love Charlie Baker, but Charlie Baker's not doing it. Doesn't seem like any of our leaders are taking this seriously. It doesn't seem like, they. let me revise that. Maybe some of them are taking it seriously, but they're not taking it seriously enough because this is the number one issue. It's the number one issue killing Americans. It's the number one issue killing the middle class. It's the number one issue killing our inner cities. As governor, what are you going to do to help those who are at the bottom who don't see any benefit whatsoever from all these million dollar programs that government spends to help the homeless or the poor?
1: Yeah. Well, the southern border, they estimate 90% of the fentanyl, which is a cheap drug is coming in through the Southern border. There's a group of governors that have joined together to try and fix the fed. It's a federal policy, but there's a lot of governors that are coming together to work on the Southern border. I would join them. And I think the more governors that come together, say we've got to fix the Southern border because we have too many drugs that are flowing through. So the cost is cheap. And so that's one thing I would do right away. The second thing is this, is that the problem the problem, if you look at it right now, the state has done as much as they can, but we've got to turn it over to the local communities. Right. Right now, we we are basically defunding our local communities and using all the money in the st- in in the state house. I would say, listen. Over the course of time, I want to change that. I want to move more money to the local community because they're the ones that are closest on the ground to address these problems, right. not down in Boston. You know, on mm-hmm. the state house, it needs to be a local and a local solution.
0: They have no clue in Boston what it's really like. They have no clue. And we did a story, I think about two months ago, where Charlie Baker was going into Lowell to give them a grant to fix up a park, to clean up a park beautification. And two hours before he got there, the Lowell police went out and cleared all of the homeless tent encampments that were on that on that uh, park so that when the governor came, he wouldn't see it. And I was outraged. I'm like, he should see it. You You should have left them exactly where they are and let him come to that park and see that you just gave X number of thousands of dollars to fix a park that homeless people are sleeping in and leaving dirty needles on. You're going to clean it and five minutes later, they're going to be back and it's going to be exactly what it is. You should have left them there. You should have left them there. And I don't think these guys really understand it at all. Have you been to any of like the homeless encampments or talked to any of like the homeless advocates about
1: about this issue? You know, first of all, let me just add to what you just said. What you just said resonated in my heart. It's so true that so often those that are in the political or the elite class, they don't see what's really happening. Mm. And I come from the working class. Those are the people I work with every single day. And so I've had colleagues that have lost children to addiction. Um, And so I really understand what you're saying and what's happening in the communities. Um, As far as me personally being in them, I've driven past them. I've walked through them, but I'm not as close as I'd like to be and as I hope to be as part of the campaign. Mm -hmm. Because I think when you're in it, and you get the sense and you get the feeling for it. Then the ideas start percolating. Oh, right. here's how we can fix this. Right. And here's what we need to do. I can tell you this, that my opponent, Maura Healy, she just announced a climate change. And part oh. of her climate change is to put, You could have just stopped right there and everybody at home is just shaking their head. Okay. she She proposed about 3,000 windmills out in Nantucket Sound. That's about $11 billion. Do you know how much good we could do right. in your community and communities across the state if we said, instead of building, spending $11 billion on on you know, windmills, let's not spend all of that. Let's put some of it out in these communities to fix these problems. Right. I was in Holyoke the other day. They do not have a shelter for the homeless. They live under a bridge mm-hmm. in tents. That would never happen if I'm governor. That would never
0: happen. I'm so glad you said that because that goes right into my next question. So I live in North Andover. I I was raised in Lawrence, but I I moved to North Andover about 20 years ago. I've been in North Andover ever since. And the biggest frustration that the people in Lawrence have, and they're right, is that if you live in Andover and you've got a million-dollar home, you've lived there, you've paid taxes for the last 25 years, and your company goes under or your wife divorces you and takes you for everything and you end up homeless... Where in Andover can you go to get services after you've paid all those taxes? Nowhere. North Andover, nowhere. Methuen, nowhere. So where do all of those people go? They go to Lawrence. And if you're talking about you know the western part of the state, they go to Worcester, right? If you're talking about the southern part of the state, they go to like, whatever the next inner city is. And so you've got all of these outsiders that flood into, into, into Lawrence. And I just use Lawrence as an example of, of, of a city Lowell is the same way, Right. And then the Lawrence people say, well, why are we going to spend all this time and money and effort to help the homeless when most of the homeless here aren't even from here? These aren't our people. These, they're not paying taxes. They're not Lawrence taxpayers. Why should we help them? And I understand that, 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 that way of thinking because someone's not doing their fair share. So I've always asked to break the question up, right? We have people who are hungry now. Give them a sandwich. The people who are cold now, give them a blanket. Support the groups that do those things. While you're looking for a long-term solution of... Hey, Methuen's got a senior center. Why don't they have a homeless center? Andover's got a senior center. Why don't they have a homeless center? And maybe it's only going to be open in Andover two or three times a year if there's a fire or something. But at least it's there. Like, they've allocated resources. They've done something. So that, that burden isn't all in one place in Lawrence. Because now in Lawrence, they're shoveling sand against the tide. Yeah. Because for every 10 people that get off the street, there's 20 more
1: coming from somewhere else. Well... There's the, there's the root cause of the problem. Then there's prevention. What you're talking about is prevention, which is okay. Now they're homeless. What do we do? Right. I would step back because I come from the manufacturing world. I would step back and say, okay, we've got to figure out both. What's the, what do we do when you have the homeless, but what's causing the homelessness? We've got to get to the root cause because what's causing the homelessness, if we don't fix that, it's just going to keep growing. We've Mm -hmm. seen it in Oregon, Washington, California. I was in California. Pacific Coast Highway 1 is tent city for 30 miles. Yep. So as our state, we've got to pivot and we've got to say, okay, we've got to get to the underlying root cause so we don't – our homeless uh, population doesn't keep growing. Right. So but, I, what, but what I don't want is I don't want government officials
0: who only focus on the root cause – Right, that's my frustration with the Biden administration. They want to focus only on root causes, which means maybe 30 years from now we might find a solution. Yeah, but in the meantime, term. look at all the damage being done. Yeah. I want it to be a two-track. I want it yeah. to be, we've got people who are hungry now and on the
1: street now. What do we do with them while we're looking at the, at the, at the long term? Yeah, that, that's true. It's a good point because the corrective action is long term. And frankly, a lot of things a governor deals with are long term. Mm-hmm. So you have to have both ideas. So, here, I mean, here, I, uh, let me push you a little bit on this. Sure. The thing is that in the state, the, the, having the adequate resources and the professionals and the facilities, we probably can't do that in every town. Uh, I think as governor, we could identify, uh, you know, uh, satellite areas and say, okay, here's going to be the communities where we're going to have the resources. We're going to have the the professionals. We'll have the facilities. Um, and then the state should fund a large portion of that, particularly if it's pulling from surrounding communities. Mm-hmm. So it's not left to the host community. Um, that's a traditional problem in the business world where you have franchisees, but you have some that are handled by the, the corporate or by the state house in this example. So it might be hard for every community to handle the homeless, mm-hmm. but certainly we could identify particular communities and say, we'll have one here that, that will attract you know, for these towns. Is housing part
0: of the answer? Because I'm always being told we need more low-income housing. And I, I can tell you that Lawrence does not need more low-income housing. have Low-income ever. housing is killing Lawrence because yeah. they have a $280 million budget, and they're only taking $40 million in property taxes. Yeah. So putting more low-income housing into Lawrence isn't going to help, right? Really, and I hate to say this because everybody everybody in my town, nobody wants it, right? It's not in my backyard kind of stuff. But North Andover could use it. Methuen could use it. Andover could use it. Drake could use you know, a, a homeless shelter or some kind of facility to help. Uh, to help the homeless, to help the addicted. But I, it also seems like we need more middle-income housing. I yeah. think that seems to be more of the... And yet we're losing middle-income housing left and right in Massachusetts. It's, 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 I mean, I think, what was it, cut in half? I think it was cut in half over the last 10 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I have some specific ideas here. One is I'd like to copy from Maine. What Maine is doing is they're saying that if you have a dilapidated old house... Uh, that's boarded up, not being used. The state will give you a grant to a developer or homeowner to fix it up, make it look nice and make it livable. And so what we could do is convert housing stock that's currently not being used and makes a community look run down and poor with a little bit of money to a developer. They can turn that around and flip it and then bring it, either sell it or they can provide housing for low income. I think that's a good idea. The other thing is just making it easier to build in Massachusetts we're making it harder and harder and harder. So my opponent, Maura Healy, she proposed that every new house now has to be a green and has to be solar. And what she's doing is she's actually reducing the housing stock because now it's more expensive and right. more difficult to build.
0: See, I, mean, I would argue that that's, that's the intent. I would argue that the Democrat Party's intent is to make it harder for
1: us. It's working yep. because it keeps getting harder and harder to build housing stock I think I drive through some communities and I see old mill buildings and I see old facilities that we should repurpose for right. housing as opposed to building a brand new, you know, four-story apartment building. We could, I think we can do a lot of different things that are bringing back housing stock. I also believe communities should look good. Like, I like my factories to look good. Right. And you walk through and you go, I am proud of this. It creates what they call pr- pride of workmanship. People should be proud of their communities. You should walk down the street and you say, I really love the way this looks. I could see myself as governor coming up here and planting trees and planting bushes and cleaning things because I think as governor, I want people to be proud of the areas they Mm -hmm. live in. No matter whether you're high income, middle income, or low income, I want you to live in an area that you like. Mm -hmm. Graffiti, I want to get rid of all of it. I'd put money to get rid of graffiti. Trash and trash pickup. I would say to the citizens... In, uh, let's say in Lawrence, I want to come up as your governor and one weekend I want to clean it with you. All of you come out of your homes. Let's go clean your community. Let's, let's make it look really nice. Mm -hmm. We'll take some pictures and then we're going to go to the tourism bureau and say, hey, Tell people to come to Lawrence. We've got some great rivers. We've got things for them to see. Let's make it a tourist Lawrence attraction. Lawrence is a
0: great community, and it, and nobody dumps on Lawrence more than I do because there's a lot of shenanigans that go on in Lawrence. But Lawrence is a tremendous community. It's a tremendous community, and there's so much there. And even like when we hold our bash, when when people who aren't really familiar with us, they're just kind of figuring out who we are, and I say, it's in Lawrence at the Relief Center. Oh, it's in Lawrence. And I'm like, listen, this is... This is the Firefighter's Relief and It's the safest lot in the city of Lawrence. Trust me, you're going to like it. Come. Yeah. Um, once you get people to come into Lawrence, despite what they think and despite what they've heard, they're very impressed. Right? They're very impressed. But it's getting them there. And it's, and it's doing some of the things that you're talking about. Can I just make a, uh, one pitch here? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Karina Papalato is a friend of mine. She runs the um, Daybreak Homeless Shelter in Lawrence. It's the only homeless shelter in Lawrence, really. Um, they're a wet shelter. Now, for those at home who don't know the difference, a dry shelter—they're one of two wet shelters in the state. A dry shelter is—all of the other ones are all dry shelters all throughout the state. Which means if you show up and you're drunk, they won't let you in. If you show up and you're high, they won't let you in. So, um, daybreak started because there's a lot of people who are, yeah. Let's face it—you know, it's cold outside, and they're out, and they—they get high, and now it's you know nine o'clock at night, and they need a place—a warm place to stay because it's snowing out or whatever. So they'll take them in. They're, they're, they're a wet shelter. They'll accept anybody, no matter what condition you're in. But because they're a wet, sh- uh, a wet shelter, they don't qualify for 90% of the grants that are out there. So they're still struggling to get a new facility. They're still tr- struggling to get more people th- to work there. They're still tr- struggling to get financing to do some of the things that they do there with, with helping them, you know, learning how to balance a checkbook for when they get back on their feet and stuff like that, get them into transitional housing. But they don't qualify because they're a wet shelter. And as governor, you would be a, the you could be the guy that say by executive order, no, no, no. We're gonna open more wet shelters out there so we can get more of these people off the street no matter what condition they're in. And let's try to just get them off the street and get them into the system to try and get them on the path to success, on the path to getting transitional housing, to getting clean, to getting, you know, not addicted anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. They're they're I I A governor has an obligation to all citizens. So, and I keep saying this over and over again, the governor's job is a little bit different than other political offices that are really partisan or, you know, it's, this is a job where there's a, there's accountability and responsibility to every single citizen, regardless of party, regardless of addictions, regardless of many things. And I would take that responsibility on, I would say, I am responsible my whole career has been one of being responsible and accountable for things, to fix things, not talk. I'm not a, I'm not a career politician. I, I'm not used to just talking about things. I'm used to fixing things. And so I would go to daybreak. I would em- embrace her and say, I love what you're doing here. And then I would get my car and I'd go to the Chamber of Commerce and I would say, what are you doing for jobs? Jobs, jobs, people need purpose, they need meaning, they need a, a job. What are we going to do to take these people that are struggling with addictions and give them meaning and purpose? Mm-hmm. And they could be simple jobs. They could run a press or, you know, do things that give them purpose in right. life. And so the um, defund the police movement, I think, has has pretty much destroyed what was left of
0: America after COVID. Um, there's a, still a big movement in Massachusetts f- to defund police. Excuse me to take away a lot of the authority that they have, a lot of the discretion that they have. Charlie Baker is the only thing that stood in the way of that, and I don't know what you think of Charlie Baker. I've known him for a long time. I have not liked a lot of the decisions that he's made, but at least I know that he's that
1: speed bump. He's he's he's. The, if you become governor, what what are you what are your plans? Well, thank you. First of all, I would never defund the police. I will defend the police to my last breath. God bless you. So I am. Um, I have. Th- I have three specific things that I wanna do. One is, as I was talking about the teachers, is we need to make sure that they're compensated enough that they wanna stay in the job. The job's becoming harder. We all recognize that, but we've got to make sure that the compensation tracks the difficulty. Otherwise, they leave to go be plumbers or electricians or, or uh, to different trades. I talk to, I've talked to just about every leader of every police organization in our state, and they are losing people at a very high rate, and people aren't applying for the jobs. I, got to, I would fix that. Within the first 45 days of my administration, I would bring all the police leaders together in a meeting, and I would ask this question, how can I support you? What do you need? They know what they need. It's like someone coming to me and saying, in your business, what do you need? I already know what I need. The police already know what what they need for support. I would say, what do you need? And let's start putting those things in place to support you Mm. in what you're doing and what you need to accomplish. I can
0: tell you one of their answers is going to be a parole board that doesn't let people out that shouldn't be out. Um, you know, I went to the uh I went to the funeral of a woman police officer uh about ten years ago. Um, shot the night after Christmas. I don't know if you remember the remember yeah. the case. And Dominic Sinelli was the guy that killed him, and he had been given three life sentences by a Dukakis appointed judge. That's how violent this guy was, and the parole board let him out. And two days later he killed a woman police officer. And uh thank God he was shot and he was killed that night too. But uh, it focused everybody for about three minutes on the parole board and why the why is the parole board letting these people out? And when I talk to my police friends, they say their biggest frustration is they pick someone up, or they investigate somebody, they put a lot of time, a lot of resources into it. They arrest him, they 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 bring him into court the next day, he gets sentenced, and a year later they're dealing with the same guy again, and they're like and they're laughing at us. I mean, I have, I have cops tell me the the, cop, the criminals laugh at us. I go in and I lock him up, and they go, "That's okay, I'll be out in another six months anyway." And that's one hundred percent on the governor.
1: Well, you know, I think we, our our big issue is we need to pivot our discussion to the victims. We talk so right. much about the police. We talk right. so much about politicians. We need to say, okay, we've talked enough about those things. Let us talk victims. What are we doing for victims? And so as a governor, I would walk in with the voice of victims. I've been a victim of crime. I felt it. I have witnessed other people be victims of crime. And it is, uh, it's heart-wrenching, and it changes your life. And so I will be the governor of the victims and say, let's talk more about that's the, what that's the we can do for
0: victims. That's the headline, and that's what, you, that's what your newspaper ad should say. The governor for the victims. Okay. Right? Because I I can tell you, there's nobody that I know who hasn't been a victim of some kind of crime, whether it's their car being stolen, the house getting broken into, their girlfriend getting assaulted. And then we watch the national trend of letting people out of jail all over the country who have violent pasts, who have been arrested and put in jail for violence, and they get out and they do it again, and then they get let out again, and they get let out again because we have people in other areas of of the country who don't really seem to give a damn about the victims at all. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think as governor, anything that has to do with public safety, I will look through the context of the victims. Mm -hmm. And I worry right now about many things. But another one I worry about is how backlogged we are in our judicial system. Now, I'm I'm running for the executive branch, but I would go to the judicial system and I would ask them, how can I help you? Right now, we're about three years behind. Mm -hmm. So if you're a victim of a crime... It could be three years before it's dealt with. That's too long. You've put your life on hold. You feel victimized. And so I would say to the executive branch, I want to help you. As a guy that does supply chain bottlenecks and deals with time, I would say to them, here, let me help you come up with some lean systems. Let's figure out how, if you're a victim, you don't have to wait three to four years for your day in court. Let's bring it down.
0: I would also say that one of the things that I'm expecting from (laughs) the next governor, no matter who it's going to be, is something, uh, a frustration that people in Lawrence see every day. And that is someone goes to jail for five years for something. They get out, they get, you know, they've served their sentence for whatever. They get paroled. They get put on a bus. They get sent to downtown Lawrence and they get dropped off. And that's it. Like, okay, you run your own. It, it, when I first heard that i didn 't believe it. I thought the guy was lying to me, and I actually talked to the sheriff, and the sheriff said no, not really that 's not really how we-. it is how they do it because now i 've seen it myself and i 'm thinking if I'm the, if i 'm that guy, like you know forget the victims for one second yeah. if i 'm that guy, I went out and I offended i 've turned my life around in prison, I want to kind of get back into those swing of things, and then they dropped me off in the middle of Lawrence in downtown Lawrence with no direction whatsoever. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to get a job? I have no address, no place to take a shower." they end up reoffending. Like what else can they do? They're going to steal something for food or for drugs or whatever. I'd like to see a transitional system so that when they get out of prison, they go into somewhere where we can start integrating them back into real life where they've got their own apartment, they're paying electricity, they're, you know, they 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 on the job to, on the
1: track to get a job.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense to
1: you. Oh, no. I mean, it's so common sense, right? Like, what you just said is, like, that just makes such common sense. Right. That, But it still doesn't get done. And no
0: matter how many elected officials I have on the show, or I interview for the paper, or I bump into a market basket, they all go, yeah, that's a great idea. And then it never gets done. And, like, two weeks later, I'm watching a bus pull up, and five people get off the bus. And, like, they just, hey, do you know where, like, the nearest... uh the
1: nearest uh, uh, um, public phone is? Yeah. <laughs>
0: no, I don't.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we elect our sheriffs. And so this really falls under the sheriffs. So, you know, it, uh, hopefully you have a good sheriff. Well, maybe some
0: money <laughs> can be allocated for the sheriffs to be able to get some kind of transitional housing through the sheriff's department. So they're not going right back on the streets. Because there's a lot of good people who probably, if you put them in the right environment yeah. after they got out, would not reoffend. Yeah. But you put them in the wrong environment, and we all know through you know sociology and psychology how
1: that works. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think you are right. There probably is room. It's we have a large state budget, fifty billion, and growing. And mm-hmm. so I think there's lots of opportunities. Can, can we that shrink budget.
0: that a little bit? Is there anywhere we could spend a little bit less? I'm okay yes. for spending money on things we need to. We need welfare, but we don't need all the fraud. So I love Suzanne Bump. She's one of my favorite people in the world because when she found all this fraud five or six years ago, she was all excited even though the Democrat Party was kicking the crap out of her and saying it's not true, there's no fraud in welfare. And she was like, no, don't you realize every dollar that we save from fraud, we can give to another person in need because she's a left-winger and wants to help the people in need. My thought is, yeah, well, I mean, if all that money was going to fraud and now that we've exposed it through the auditor's office, first of all, people should go to jail and they never do. But secondly, how about taking that money and just give it back to the taxpayers? Like, wouldn't that be great? Like Everybody gets a check at the end of the year. We, we, we took this amount of money. We thought we were going to need to spend it. We didn't. Here's some back. Wouldn't that be awesome?
1: Well, if you don't mind me making a pitch for myself. No, please do. There are four candidates. There are three career politicians and then the businessman from Rentham. me. I, it, my whole life has been getting the most from limited resources in the business world and particularly manufacturing in Massachusetts. We don't have unlimited money. We have very limited money, but we have to do a lot with it. We have to buy capital. We have to pay people. We have to make a profit. I am very accustomed to the world of getting by with limited resources. Let's give some back to the taxpayers. Let's let them do some things. So I had been proposing a a gas tax holiday. It wouldn't have cost us a lot. We have more than enough. We could have easily have done that one. Um, that, That speaks to my background. It speaks to my interest. It's exactly what I'd like to do. Day one, I'm going to say to all the secretaries of all the departments that I want them to do, to come up with a 3% cost reduction plan every year. I've done it my whole life. I have to sign contracts with 3% cost reductions. If you supply to GM Ford Chrysler, you're required to do that. I would say to our secretaries, okay, every year I want a 3% cost reduction. We'll take those funds and we're going to roll it back to the communities to fix the problems you and I are talking about. I don't think I would come in with tax cuts right now, but I would, come, I would come in and say, let's take that money. Let's roll it out to the communities. They know where they need it for homeless shelters, for sidewalks, for roads, schools. Right now, if you look at our state budget, we have basically for 12 years been defunding the local communities. Inflation, 7%. Right. You can only raise property taxes by two and a half. The state's not giving you any more money. Right now, every community is being defunded. Right Day one, I'm changing that. Day one, I'm saying we're going to get the communities caught up to inflation, and we're going to do it without raising taxes by just removing fraud, waste, leaning the things out so that our communities can feel thriving. How are you going to work? We only have a few minutes left. Can we go just a little over? Is that okay? Do you have somewhere to be? Okay. Okay. Um
0: uh, and then I lost my question. Did you hear like the first half of the question that- <laughs> I
1: did Where are you going to? I think something like that uh, I so. lost it. You know, I
0: guess we don't have to I guess we don't have to extend the show. I lost the question uh We, we have a couple of minutes left
1: what uh w- well, we were talking about the budget. I was saying that we were defunding our communities public safety sidewalks, roads, et cetera, by keeping the money in the state house when there's been inflation right. So I you understand. want to roll
0: the money back to the communities, and I think that's an excellent campaign message because I think most people realize that their local communities are getting screwed. Yes, right? even even Methuen, which is a very moderate community, it's not, used to be very conservative. Now it's kind of moderate, but uh, but a really good community financially. Um, and and even they're saying, "Hey, look, you know, I mean, we're getting killed here. We need we need more funding, and we can't raise property taxes anymore," like you said. So uh, I think that's a great message. In the few minutes we have left. Um, Give your pitch. What is most important to you if you become governor? Why should people vote
1: for you? Um, how about in English and in Spanish? That's great. That's That'd fine. Be all right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: A lot um, of Spanish. Spanish speaking.
1: Uh... Yeah, um, I think there's several reasons. One is I'm going to fix the tax and spend culture in Massachusetts. Second, I'm going to fix the police problem. Third, I'm going to fix the education problem that we've been talking about. And I'm going to bring jobs, 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 economy. I've been in it myself for three decades. I know why businesses are leaving. I've been tempted myself many times. I know what we need to do to fix it. The last one is a two-party system, single-party systems. We have a couple examples, California, Oregon, Washington, the states that we don't want is what we're faced with in November. So in, a, in, a, in Espanol, poquito, Yo, yo, yo estoy coreando por gobernador uh, de Massachusetts. Yo pienso y um, yo, yo puedo ayudar a los hijos en las escuelas y los um, uh, uh, padres y madres que tienen hijos en las escuelas. Es tan importante para mí, por los hijos, tener es una educación que es mejor de todo de Estados Unidos.
0: All right, as we wrap up, uh, Randy Carter, who's uh, from Clear Path for Veterans New England, uh, former uh, uh, award winner at our uh, Valley Patriot Bash every year, asks – If you would promise to come to Clear Path for Veterans, New England down in Devon, and see what they do, I promise. I would love to come see it. All right, they're they're, they're a great organization. They're our partner organization. Um, In fact, we have a check to present to Randy if he can actually get back to me with a date so that we can do that uh, for money that we raise at the bash for them. They do tremendous things. They help homeless veterans get into housing. They help them get uh, uh, service dogs. They help them with groceries. Any kind of uh, uh, health needs that they have, they, they, they're they an amazing organization, and 100% of what you give goes directly to the veterans because they've got grants that help them with the overhead, so yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Uh, Chris Doty, he is a candidate for governor here in
1: Massachusetts. Would you come back on the show? Would you come back? Did you have fun? Tom, I, those were such insightful questions. I feel it in my heart. I, I, let, let's fix this state. It takes people like you and me and so many others to stand up and say No. No, we can fix this. I'm a fix-it guy. We're going to fix this working together. It, it, it's never one person. It's an it's a army of people. Mm-hmm. And so I join with you in what you're trying to accomplish. Great. And if I could get Jeff Deal to agree, would you debate him on the show? I would be
0: delighted. Because, I've been asking him. Because, because he loves us. So I'm pretty sure he wouldn't say no to me. Maybe he will, but I don't think he will. I've
1: been asking and asking. So.
0: But, I mean, you guys are going to get tough questions Even though I'm a conservative I, mean, I am going to end up voting for one of you, right? Please All right, great uh, Chrissy, why don't we roll that up uh, I, I appreciate you coming Who's your friend here? Who's, uh, what, who's Danny, Sander Dan, He's working. Dan with Sander, me. I appreciate uh, coming up with you And I appreciate the table of people that you brought to the bash too I noticed that some politicians came They worked their room when they left You came, bought a table Stayed till the very end and that shows a lot for your commitment to, to local communities, and I appreciate it. Well, I that. loved the people I met. It, yeah, uh, it was wonderful.
1: I, I, I left a better man.
0: Well, well, thank you very much. I want to thank uh, Matt McLennan and Sam and Janet over at uh, McLennan Real Estate, Century 21 on Broadway in, in Methuen. AFC Urgent Care in Methuen and North Andover. Marsan and Son Construction, our friend Ronnie Marsan. This is the time to get your construction done because the weather's starting to get nice. Uh, EIS investigation and gun training. They also provide security. If you need security, let me know. We okay. got a bunch of good guys can help you out. Uh, what else do we have? Tomo and and shaken seafood. Clear path for veterans. New England Lazy River products in Drake. It great cannabis place in Drake. It. I'll be going there tomorrow to do a tour, to write a story, <laughs> and a free shout out to Sebastian's House of Toys in Haverhill, who's coming on board next year. Melvin Taylor. I think you just said we got to go home. So go home already.